Sounds good to me. Let's try that again. Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I am professional film critic Sean Patrick. No Bob this week, but Jeff is here. Hi, Jeff. Hi. You can find us on uh, Facebook. Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast and Critics Pod on Twitter. And of course, uh, Patreon. Just search Everyone's a Critic and uh, you can join our Patreon there. And of course, uh, Bob has access to all of your reviews. So if you're saying unkind things, you know, you're really hurting his feelings. <laughs> and he'll never tell us. So <laughs> exactly. You said something you really shitty. Me, neither, neither of us yeah, are ever going to hear you about call it. Call me the F slur all you want. I'm never going to know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, like it. So a uh, couple of movies to talk about this week. Uh, we're going to be talking about the entirety of the Indiana Jones franchise, uh, including the brand new Dial of Destiny. But uh, we're going to start off talking about a movie that uh, is among, if not the best movie of the year called Past Lives, uh, directed by Celine Song, written by Celine Song. And uh, this movie is absolutely, utterly incredible. This, this movie blew my mind uh, just for its simplicity, its thoughtfulness. It's uh, just just the beauty of the human spirit behind it. Uh, the story goes here that a uh, character played by Greta Lee and a uh, character played by Taeyo Yoon uh, grew, grew up together in Korea. They were as close as they could be, even their parent, their mothers had them even go on a date together. Uh, and there's this element of like, you know, Korean parents kind of having this idea of who their child might be with one day. And they're very close. Uh, they, then they finds out that of course, one of the, that the, that she is leaving, she is moving to the United States. Her family's moving to the United States. And she sort of tells him this rather bluntly without kind of preparing him for it. And he's a little hurt by it. And uh, they sort of part on not negative terms, but just not on uh, not on the terms they would have both hoped for. I imagine they reconnect about twelve years later over social media. Uh, he she finds out that he was looking for her, and she was looking for him, just kind of on a on a whim, on a conversation with her mom. And uh, they reconnect, and they start seeing each other over Skype, and it gets kind of intense and emotional, and they're sharing things and then they realize that neither one of them is really to get willing to give up the life that they currently have, which he's about to go uh, to China for part of his, his job. She's about to go to a writer's workshop in upstate New York for, you know, to further her writing career. And neither one of them wants to give that up. So she suggests that they part again. And this time uh, each of them meets somebody else and they kind of go on with their lives until 12 years later when he comes to New York and they have this, another very intense, very emotional uh, reconnection. Uh, this movie is so incredibly smart and thoughtful when it comes to this type of uh, human interaction. Uh, just these people who have meant a great deal to each other, who are uh, you know, trying to deal with how they feel with each other, but also deal with the people that, that, that they are or were with. Uh, it's an incre- incredibly sensitive, smart, uh, yet still very sweet and kind of funny at times movie uh, that that is about three mature adults having a... Th- a, a mature conversation between them that has a lot of you know, resonance and emotion and romance. And I, I love this movie. It, it's right up there with Bo is afraid for me, Jeff. Wow. I actually wanted to see it. Um, I went and saw Indiana Jones on Thursday and a friend of mine was like, Oh, let's go to a movie on Sunday morning. And I said, okay, sounds great. What do you want to see? And I of course said past lives and she said, oh, I can't wait to see Indiana Jones. And I was like, oh, I saw it. She goes, well, it's my treat. So let's go see that. So, 
So I did not get to see this. I feel bad for you. This is like this is up there. Like I had to really think about whether or not Bo is afraid is my number one or this. Like it's that they're they are neck and neck, and they, it could shift either way uh, as this goes along. Because like I said, this movie is incredibly smart, and and these characters are so relatable, and it doesn't do the typical things that that you expect of a movie like this, where the husband is supposed to get super jealous and angry and. It's supposed to cause problems, and we've seen that in, in much lesser movies. This is about three mature adults who are having this very important conversation, and and also just having a conversation about a, a sort of a spiritual conversation. There's this there's this idea that they bring up in Korean culture called inyon, where anybody that you meet and interact with, even if you just brush past them on the street, it means you're connected to them in some way, either. Uh, just in this brief moment or sometime in a past life, you you had a meaning to each other. And they have a conversation about that and what, you know, they're both kind of wondering what would have happened in another, you know, life if if they were in love or if they were, were just strangers who passed on the street. And it's just these wonderful what-if conversations that they take to these, you know, uh, intellectual, they sort of treat them like intellectual exercises among themselves. Uh and and uh, it can be a little bit tense and a little bit intense, especially with all of the emotions in play. But it makes you sort of think about what you mean to other people and the ways in which, whether you know it or not, and and this applies to all of us, Jeff, that whether you know it or not, you've had a profound effect on the lives of the people you've met and you've changed them in ways that they may not even be aware of. Like, you know, the effect that you've had on my life. I've We've talked about that. I mean, you, you part of your... You and I knowing each other as long as we have, not to get too deep on this, but like I'm a better person because of you, and uh, not because sorry. Of you did, not because of anything <laughs> you did intentionally, but just by being who you are. Have I stunned you into Thank silence? You. <laughs> no, I, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Earnest emotion, help, help! <laughs> ah! All the feels, no more feelings today. <laughs> No, and likewise, I, you know, I mean, we've, I've known you your entire life, basically, mm -hmm. and, but I've, 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 I'm glad the, the adult that you've grown into and grown past. Mm -hmm. So keep doing that. Yeah, definitely going to keep doing that. Uh, yeah, that's what this movie makes you think about. And it's, it's lovely to have that sort of, have a movie be that inspirational. Uh, I really, it really hit home with me. So please, everyone, do see past lives. Right. I promise I will. Please, yes, I, I'll, I will buy you your ticket. Um, <laughs> let's move on now to, of course, our main event. We're talking about the Indiana Jones movies. We're going to put Dial of Destiny at the end, so we're going to start with uh, talking about the the originals and then. Uh, segue toward dial of destiny so you're just gonna have to wait to find out how we feel about that one <laughs> it's called a tease <laughs> in the business um dun, 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 dun. <laughs> you know what's amazing is that that just that is so triggering to me not in a bad way but like in an emotional nostalgic sort of way because i yeah. just to briefly touch on dial of destiny when i did hear that i got emotional like i did when i got when I saw, you know, Michael Keaton in the Batsuit again in Flash. But we'll get to that. Yeah. 
Uh, but Indiana Jones and the uh, Temple of, or the Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, is the first film from 1981, uh, directed by uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, with uh, Laura, uh, Kath, uh, Kasdan, Lawrence Kasdan writing the screenplay, but George Lucas having a great deal of input as well, because he and Spielberg conceived this whole thing together. Uh, based upon on the their, beach, uh, they, based on their love of uh, afternoon serials, uh, which are serials are just these movies that played in like single screen theaters or double screen theaters back in the day. Uh, they were programmers, you know. They were just movies that were kind of they were serialized, so they they were one led to the other, like kind of like a, a TV show before or as TV was sort of developing. Uh, and they were always these very broad uh, adventures. Uh, and they pro- many of them are considered lost media today because there was really no need to preserve many of them. Um, but uh, they were inspiring to both uh, Lucas and Spielberg. And they uh, uh, grow up to want to make a movie like that. But being that Spielberg is so incredibly talented, he's taken that idea and elevated it here with the character of Indiana Jones. And what I love about this, what stands aside from those old serial programmers that were... Uh, not terrible in many ways, but like just very basic uh, is that Harrison Ford is playing against the type of actor that played in those movies. Who is like, if he had given into the kind of emotionality that both Spielberg and Lucas, this nostalgic play, it could have, it could have gone over into parody. So in a way, Ford is almost modernizing the idea of the character that he's playing just by not, uh, just by taking it seriously and not leaning into the, that nostalgia factor. He's playing it as Harrison Ford would play it. And there's something very special about that. On top of which, I think the rest of the characters in, in, in this movie, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, are playing sort of the stock characters that would be in, a, in one of those serials from back in the day. And that allows him to stand out even further. Not necessarily Karen, Karen Allen, but she's kind of riding the line between the damsel and the distress of the classic film serials and being this more modern character and she she's sort of his bridge into that as well uh, but the subtle ways in which they use karen allen to reveal indiana jones through exposition without hammering you over the head with mm-hmm. very obvious dialogue they don't get enough credit for how subtle that is but karen allen harrison ford and lawrence kasdan and spielberg as well all deserve credit for for not making that so thuddingly obvious like Karen Allen stopping down to say, you were here and this is what our relationship is. <laughs> like they don't do that. They have action reveal their relationship. They have the tension between them reveal their relationship. It's so skillful. Yeah. Some of the dialogue is like right out of some of those thirties movies. Um, I just recently watched uh, it happened one night mm-hmm. and <clears throat> it, after watching, rewatching, all the uh, Raiders movies, I was like, wow, that's really, really did nail that kind of Clark Gable, Claudette Colbert dynamic um, without going into parody. Uh And I really appreciated, you know, like in those movies, you know, like, like the African queen and things like that, the women in them were not damsels in distress. Uh You know, was, she she was very much Karen Allen was very much like Catherine Hepburn or Joan Crawford. You know that she was plucky and she could get it done herself, but she just happened to be caught up in Indiana Jones's uh, stuff, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She mm-hmm. just she was like she was capable, and 
it was almost like <laughs> she almost took a step back when he came back into her life. Mm-hmm. And when she, you know, she had to do the saving a lot of the times. And I really appreciated that. That was, that was where I got the, the thirties serial vibe. Mm-hmm. I also, you know, there's another thing like the, there's a modern trend now where like female characters, uh, the strong female character of sort of the, the trope, uh, has to be the the gal who can drink all the guys under the table, and it doesn't feel like a cliche here because she's the one who did it kind of first, you know. That where the yeah, yeah. Scene. like she's the one who set that tone that has uh, since become the you know, strong female character trope in, in uh, since then. Uh, that I find so I, I saw it recently, and as it, it was very tiresomely presented, and it's not tiresome here, and I, I just love that. Uh, I love a lot of things about about this movie. The opening set piece is spectacular with the the idol and the and the rolling rock and the you know, the Alfred Molina. Uh, that's all mm-hmm. just so cool. And there's a sense of humor and lightness to it, even as you know. Obviously, we're watching a couple of guys get brutally murdered. We don't <laughs> see the brutal, murder, but you know, there's lots. There's bodies. There's there's uh, you know, skeletons around. Like there's scary elements, but there's still this lightness, and I think a lot of that also does come from John Williams' score, which never allows the movie to feel too scary or un or untense, you know, less than tense. Uh, it's this perfect bridge between uh, this lighthearted tone and being able to be serious when it needs to be serious. You know, and like, I, and there's always, even though I mean, it, it's named Indiana Jones. There's always, uh, you know, you never know quite what's going to happen if he's going to come out of everything okay or, mm. you know. It's very easy to suspend your disbelief. Like, he, he, it's much as, he, as much as Indiana Jones does have main character powers, uh, and he certainly that'll come into play when we talk about the se- later sequels. Uh, it never feels that way in the early movies because I think Steven Spielberg is so skillful about the way he presents action and the way he's presenting this story. So even if you don't believe that Indiana Jones is actually going to die, he's done. He, he's doing so much work in the margins and so much work at, at at giving you other things to think about that you can feel the tension of of his you know peril. Yeah, yeah. He always always has that look in his eye when he when something happens that he's just like, I can't believe I just got away with that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I uh, yeah this, the the uh, the snakes in the plane thing is such a good bit because <laughs> it's setting up something important for later, but it's also revealing a piece of his character in a very funny way. Like yeah, that's that's the kind of you know just simple filmmaking techniques. The simplicity of that. So many filmmakers miss that. Like you know, and lesser filmmakers. Eighty percent of the filmmakers that we, that especially I sit through because I see more movies than most people, uh, will just say have a character say, you know what, I'm afraid of snakes, and then later on there's a snake. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it becomes, yeah. It becomes the most simplistic version of like uh, Chekhov's gun imaginable. And <laughs> like uh, here, I Spielberg is so skillful and so playful and so funny and and charismatic in how he presents that that you don't get caught up in yeah i think that um one of the things that this was i i hate to say it this way because i think that there's 
I really like some of his later stuff, but this was kind of peak Spielberg, Mm -hmm. you know, peak fun Spielberg. Um, You know, all three of the indie movies were, but especially this, you can just tell that he and George Lucas revered the serials and things from the, um, from the thirties and forties and really grew up on that. And then it really shows with how much fun they're having. And I think the three of them together, Lucas and Spielberg and Ford are just, they're like one of the best cinematic teams ever. True. And that's, you know, they, they all are vibing, especially in this movie. And it shows it just, you know, it's just like, it's almost, it seems effortless. Whereas, you know, sorry, go ahead. um, Some of some of Spielberg's later works, especially like Fablemans and things like that, just seem like they took so much effort Mm -hmm. to get them where they are. Yeah, there's a there's There's, a tire, a a sort of a tired quality. Yeah. The uh, so the thing about that dynamic between the three of them is that I the way I view, view it is like. Harrison Ford is the adult in the room who's got like say because <laughs> I think yeah. I could just see Spielberg and Lucas just coming up with ideas rapidly and Harrison Ford going look I've got to make this believable on screen <laughs> so let's, yeah. let's dial it back and he, he's this mature presence in the midst of this childlike wonder yeah he just you know he's he. <laughs> He doesn't always seem like the adult to me, but he seems like the most practical one. Yeah, that's fair. So. I have a controversial opinion. Uh, I Okay. For me, Temple of Doom is my favorite Indiana Jones movie. I like Temple of Doom even more than I like Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I'm watching Temple okay. of Doom again. And that opening sequence, Kate Capshaw's song, and then the the whole thing that happens with Indy getting poisoned and the poison rolling around on the floor, and then there's the diamond and the and all the shooting and that giant gong rolling and using that as a shield. That whole sequence to me is so exciting and so funny and so inventive uh, that it it set a tone for me that never let up the rest of the way I watched it, and it, it brought me back to seeing uh, Temple of Doom. In the theater is a, an eight-year-old kid in 1984 uh, and seeing Short Round again. And Short Round was my guy. I wanted to be what he... I wanted to do what Short Round was doing. I wanted to be there. And I felt this sort of childlike connection to Temple of Doom where I can recognize that, yes, I think Indiana Jones is the more filmically accomplished film. I think there's a lot of indulgence in Temple of Doom, obviously, but uh, the, especially in the length. But... Uh, I, I just adore the little touches that they do here. They, the, the escape from the gangsters as they get to the plane and that gag where he's escaped, they've escaped and Indy's looking smug out the wind, out the door at the gangsters that he closes at the door and reveals what, what's happening. It's, it's a very funny joke. It's a great piece of visual filmmaking. Uh, and the, the drop from the plane in, in that rubber boat I know it's probably not practical, but it works for me. It's so exciting and so silly that it just, it's kind of like a Fast and the Furious moment for me <laughs> because I love the <laughs> silliness of those movies. And I think that's a very silly thing. 
and the silliness of, of Temple of Doom, the playfulness of Temple of Doom, I guess, is what really gets me every time. And it, and it lasts even as we get into the more serious stuff about voodoo and ripping out a heart and, and that kind of stuff, uh, child slavery. I, I'm still feeling sort of that giddy thrill uh, of, of Temple of Doom all the way through. And that's really, I, I don't know if I can even be objective about why I like it more than any other Indiana Jones movie. I I found after I rewatched it again and I like Kate Capshaw as a as an actress and as a person. Willie drove me the fuck <laughs> out of this movie though. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's one thing she it's one thing to be like, "Oh my god, oh everything is so terrible. Oh, I hate everything about you." And eventually you just got to be like you know, he's got to sit her down and say, look, you need, you're either here or you can just go off on your own and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then she has kind of the come to Jesus moment. But, you know, the whole, her whole character just bothered the shit out of me. And I realized that this is a prequel to Raiders. Right, um, you know, yeah. I realized that it, ta- it takes place earlier and, you know, he, he, <clears throat> He was probably a lot more callous, and I think that didn't come across. You know, <laughs> I would have, I would have just put her out. Um, <laughs> I, I <clears throat> there are parts of this that I really love. The first time I saw this, I was, you know, some VHS or something, and I was, it just didn't strike me. I, li- I did like the opening sequence with the song at Club Obi Wan and <laughs> the poison, and that was, <clears throat> that was Indiana Jones to me. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll get into later, uh, uh, once we start talking about some of the other movies, some of the, uh, the things in Temple of Doom that stretch credulity, sure. shall mean, we say, <laughs> that other people give a pass to because they were made in the eighties. I mean, all um, of these movies do it, but yeah. Yes. I, but you know, like people, when we get, when we talk about Crystal Skull, we'll talk about that, but. And by the way, I hate it when people say, oh, we'll talk about that on a podcast. But usually it's something you could talk about it in the moment, but we can't. So uh, anyway, <laughs> I, 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 you know, in, in Raiders, you see the, the top come off of the Ark of the Covenant and, you know, dark angels are melting people's faces and, you know, desiccating their corpses and blowing them away and all that. And in <laughs> Temple of Doom, they're ripping, beating hearts out. The people are still alive, mm-hmm. but aliens are too much. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I thought that this was Temple is just it's a little more mean spirited, I guess. Whereas Raiders was a little more swashbuckling. I think the element here that, that maybe you're saying, I think what makes it work for me is that it, I, I see what you're saying, but I, I feel like when, especially with Kate Capshaw's performance, she is playing screwball comedy, which is a separate sort of like, it's sort of the, yeah. uh, I don't know if it's a, it's like a precursor or just like along the side of it's separated from what they were doing in Indiana Jones and the, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, screwball comedy homage here is what's what she's doing. And I think it works. Uh, for me, I, I enjoy 
I think she's having a very realistic reaction to the bizarre shit that's going on around her. As as grating as that might be, I actually prefer her because she's a character who's not supposed to be in this situation, who has no idea what to do in this situation. She's constantly being surprised. She's constantly in danger that she cannot control. I think she's having a very human reaction. There's an odd, there was an odd criticism, and this is a bit of a tangent, but the, the, the first Jurassic Park modern sequel, people were getting on Bryce Dallas Howard's character for just being... Uh, for, she was wearing uh, the wrong shoes. And it's like, she showed up to work that day. She was not going... She wasn't intending to run from dinosaurs. <laughs> she, was wearing, well, she was wearing shoes. They were saying her. she could have kicked her shoes off, but I'm she saying, wore these, like, like five-inch heels the whole movie. So <laughs> She was not in a moment where she was thinking about that. She was thinking about getting away from <laughs> dinosaurs. I think people were too hard on that. And often at times, I think people are a little bit too hard on Kate Capshaw's performance because they want her to be Karen Allen. They want that... that and. I'm glad it's not the same performance. I'm glad that she's so different. She's not capable. She is very much needing to be carried along in this adventure because otherwise she's definitely going to die in this situation. <laughs> uh, that to me, that dynamic is very funny. And I think they have a, a very strong sexual chemistry and that back and forth, you know, slamming doors scene is, is terrific. And then they go find the, the voodoo temple and the movie goes off in a whole new direction. I, I adore all of that. Yeah, I, I, I guess it was just the shrillness of it <laughs> for me. Um, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, yeah, I just, I, I guess I prefer Karen Allen. And then for me, the Cole Cart chase is, other than say maybe the uh, blowing up the Death Star in, in Star Wars, is my action scene from my childhood. That Cole Cart chase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is the, one of the greatest it's the first time i really experienced like this is what movies can do <laughs> this is how i can yeah. feel while watching a movie it, it my heart was racing i was just i i was watching it through my fingers as an eight-year-old kid just terrified that my favorite hero was going to die uh and of course short round uh and my guy i just Ki- kiwi kwan has always been incredible uh people should have recognized that um, <laughs> short round is a fucking wonderful character. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it so much. And I, now there are a lot of pro- problematic elements of it. I, I wrote about this that that I understand if if this is a movie that that if it if my enjoyment of this bothers people, I get it, and I apologize if this is harmful to people in any way because I understand why you would be why you would feel offense here. Uh, I don't think that this movie was made with that kind of intention. And I think that's maybe a, a very much of a degree of uh, justification, I guess, but are trying to find an excuse to like this, I guess. But, but I think it's fair to recognize that some people can be hurt by this. And it's fair to, re- to recognize that and feel for that and still find enjoyment in it. Uh, it's just about how you decide how you want to deal with it. If you want to try and deal with it, like there's nothing wrong with this movie, you're just being a jerk. <laughs> it's okay to re- to acknowledge problematic elements of things that you love. Yeah, that's what you do when you go to Thanksgiving dinner every year. <laughs> you, just, you acknowledge the things in your life well, that are deeply problematic. 
and Christmas and the Fourth of July and America. Anytime you're seeing that extended family that are still wearing, you know, hats of a particular color. Um, I, I can't even go to Five Guys anymore because the red hats are just like, oh God, you, oh wait, no, that's your uniform. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, yeah, I love, <laughs> I love Temple of Doom. I love it. I, I just, I, it makes me, it's the, like a movie that makes me feel like an eight year old child again. And that probably blinds me from being fully objective about it's many, many issues. Like, they're, they're That's crazy. how I feel about Debbie does Dallas. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> like I'd watch straight porn. Uh, <laughs> there are threads you can pull. There are threads you can pull on Raiders. How did Indiana Jones know to close his eyes? At the end, I don't know, but I bought it. <laughs> he just sounds authoritative, and it I, it makes sense in the moment. It could be just an instinct on his part. I don't know, but I I bought it. <laughs> you have to decide how you feel about that. But I don't feel like pulling threads on either of these two movies because I enjoy them for so many reasons. Well, Raiders that whole the whole series is similar for me to Star Wars. It's that you know yeah. being a kid again and the adventure and. You could like everybody who hates the sequels or the prequels, you can pull threads in every single Star Wars movie out there. Yeah. But they don't want to see it because that, you know, that's just blasphemy. And it's the same, you know, I, I, t- I had a conversation the other day with somebody about the Indiana Jones movies, and that's their movies. And they, they said that, look, I know that there's a lot of shit that in these movies that stretch credit credibility and but i love every single one of them and i kind of feel the same way mm-hmm. absolutely i i i think these first two films are an absolute joy they're one in one a i mean they're both you know for me like temp the, my nostalgia my personal childhood nostalgia pushes temple of doom over raiders in my estimation but i i definitely feel like they are on par with each other uh, and I recognize, like, I love Raiders. <laughs> I don't want it to seem like just because I picked Temple of Doom as my favorite that I dislike Raiders in any way. I have, I love Raiders. My favorite out of the series is the one we'll talk about next. <laughs> and I know you don't like it. Uh, I know you have an issue with it. I've got many. many but <laughs> for, I, I, I guess I should say it's I kind of take them as a whole the same way I do the Star Wars movies. I kind of take them as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the first one I watched in the theater and kind of followed the clues. And I, I'm a big mystery fan. And it was it was kind of a little bit of a mystery. Where's Henry Jones? And I think that's why I, this is the one I kind of imprinted on as a child, a, a teenager. Sure. So. We're going to take a break before we do uh, The Last Crusade, and uh, we'll be right back. I'll have a new link for you in just a moment. Okay. Recordings.
All right. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I'm turning off my video because there's no sense and we're not recording it. Sure. And I'm going to keep yawning, so I don't want to <laughs> make you watch down the. All right. Recording in progress. Three, two, one. You're listening to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. We're talking about Indiana Jones. We were talking about, uh, we're starting our conversation now about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And I'll, I'll let you lead this conversation, Jeff, because you like this movie and I don't. So why don't you take the lead? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, um, so after Temple of Doom, which critically was, you know, lambasted a little bit more than Raiders and that, um, you know, had a very simple formula and that was Harrison Ford fights Nazis. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they wanted to get back to that, to that formula because um, also, if you're not aware, you, you probably are, but if somebody's listening, they're not aware. Temple of Doom was one of the major reasons that we have the PG 13 rating. That and Gremlins came out, and you know, of course, parents were horrified, as you know, bored moms are want to be, mm -hmm. um, at the violence of you know getting a heart ripped out and whatever. And uh, so the MPAA kind of said, "Oh well, maybe we should have one, you know, PG and then PG thirteen, and the rest is history." Um, but I think that. Critically, that one wasn't as, uh, you know, praised as Raiders was. So I think they wanted to get back to what what made the first one work so well, and that was Nazis. Mm -hmm. And the premise, which I don't know why this is controversial, that Nazis should be defeated. Um, you know, some people, I'm sure, probably are rooting for the Nazis in these movies nowadays, but... <laughs> <clears throat> if you are, please, you don't have to listen to us because yeah, we don't like you. Um, we don't like Nazis. This is a fully uh, anti-Nazi podcast. Yeah. Yes. Yes. If you if you sympathize at all, or if you use Nazi quotes or Hitler quotes in your newsletter, looking at you, Moms for Liberty, you can go away. Uh, anyway, um, you know, and that's that's the thing, and that's that's kind of the magic of indie is him being anti-fascist and beating, you know, beating the Nazis and it worked so well in Raiders that they said, well, where, what made that one so special? Let's okay. It's a quest to get something that Hitler wants really bad. And I think at the heart of these movies, that's what, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to beat Hitler. Cause that's what you did in the forties and the thirties and the forties. Mm -hmm. And this time they're searching for the Holy Grail and Walter Donovan, who is played by Julian Glover from star Wars and a million other uh, British films, etc. Uh, Julian Glover is trying to track down the grail, the Holy Grail and not the Dan Brown, Holy Grail, which is a person, <laughs> but uh, the cup that Jesus drank from at the last supper. And he's already hired somebody, but that person has gone missing. And wouldn't you know it, it's Henry Jones Sr., Indiana Jones's dad. Uh, so he's traces, you know, through his dad's grail diary and 
X marks the spot and then all these fun little set pieces. And he finally meets up with his dad, who is also hooking up with the same woman that Indy is because, you know, why not? Mm -hmm. Uh, And together they find the, they trace all the steps to the, to the, I keep wanting to say the Ark of the Covenant uh, because it's very, it's kind of the same movie. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, but not, you know, um, and they finally find the grail and the grail knight and, you know, Henry Jones is shot and almost dies. And Indiana Jones has to save him with the grail. And of course, greed leads Walter Donovan and Elsa to their deaths and their doom, um, as well as the rest of the Nazis. And then Henry Jones Jr., AKA Indiana and his dad ride off into the sunset together with Sala as it should be, or as uh, with Marcus, as it should be. Yeah. I just, I just, did, I just didn't care for any part of it. <laughs> uh, maybe I did as a kid. I might've liked it as a kid, uh, as a grumpy adult, <laughs> it made me grumpy right off the bat. The last time, cause I wrote a, I wrote about this about, I don't know when it came out, I think 30 years ago, uh, when it turned 30, I wrote about it and the things that bugged me about it that on this rewatch were just the elements of it that, Tell me way too much that I don't need to know. Do I? I mean, why are we getting the origin of Indiana Jones's hat or his or his uh, <laughs> lip scar or his jacket, like or his whip? Like for fuck's sake, can it just be that he just likes to wear those things and he looks good in them? Why can't it that? Just, why do I need an origin story for every fucking thing, right down to his name? I don't need that. It's an entirely unnecessary sequence that slows down the movie, slows down you know the the, intro, the reintroduction of Harrison Ford. It, it's just this, and it's this lengthy set piece that it just. I was rolling my eyes through it the entire time. Like, or what? Are, what else do you have? Do, do we get the origin of what underwear he's going to wear? Like, why are we getting so much of this needless, needless lore that is just making this movie too long? But then once we finally do get past that, his dynamic with his father, I just didn't care for it. Uh, it's not, it didn't feel like he, <laughs> infantilizing Indiana Jones and making him the subject of the joke, to me, just doesn't work. I, I, don't, I don't enjoy this version of Indiana Jones where he's the subject of every joke that his father make. Like, Indiana, that was the dog's name. Like... Just make him an asshole, I guess. I <laughs> just making make my hero look like a complete dumbass throughout the entire movie. Great, that's fun. He also can't get the girl because his dad's already fucking her. Great, cool, that's awesome. Uh, she's a, she's a shitty character anyway. But <laughs> I just it, and of course there is the and the, the lack of Karen Allen as well. Um, I I hate this so much that fucking boat chase is just it, it's like lifted from a bad James Bond movie. I've seen that that boat chase in an Indiana Jones in a, in a James Bond movie. He's not James Bond. He's Indiana Jones. <laughs> Why am I watching a modern boat chase? I, I'm not. I just don't care. I don't like this. I don't enjoy it at all. Wow. Um, <laughs> yikes. Uh, I do. I'm going to go in this hard on it. Have. <laughs> Uh, no, I just, I, I like the interplay. I like the fact, you know, I mean, I like that it it says a lot that he's been estranged from his dad because they're 
you know, both stubborn and both searching for stuff that they can never find. And, you know, the father is singularly after the grail. And I got from everything that Harrison Ford thought, oh, that, you know, that's the one thing that we're never going to find because it doesn't really exist. It's like he'd read the Dan Brown books and knew that it was a vagina. Um, Whereas, you know, Henry Jones is just like, that's his singular focus through his life. I liked the River Phoenix scenes. I thought it was fun. Um, I I thought it was funny that Richard Young, who also is in Friday the 13th part five, um, (laughs) you know, he plays, he plays the prototype for Indiana Jones. And it kind of makes you think that Indy as a teenager thought, well, if you can't beat him, join him. And he was going to, you know, he, he's going to become what he thinks is what it takes to be that guy who gets the stuff that he, you know, he wants for his museums and all that. Um, I, I just, I thought it was, it was funny that, you know, about the dog, the joke about the dog. I just thought that was funny. I don't think it was supposed to be a big, you know, it wasn't a huge plot point. It was just a joke. So I didn't, you know, and, and the fact that he's named Indiana Jones after George Lucas's Malamute, Indiana. Mm -hmm. If you know that it's an in joke, if you don't, it's just kind of a (laughs) one-off joke. Um, And actually uh, Indiana Lucas was the inspiration for Star Wars, Chewbacca. So Mm -hmm. it all kind of ties together. And that's the stuff I knew about going into this movie because I was a teenager. You know, it was like I'd read all this Star Wars lore and Indiana Jones lore and all that. And I I just, I guess I just, I I thought it really kind of harkened back to the, the 30s again, you know, 30s and 40s kind of stuff. It was just not too serious. Um, but it had that quest and I enjoyed the quest. I think that's, you know, something like the grail who, for me, who's not a religious person at all, mm-hmm. um, unless you count star Wars, uh, <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it, it's interesting to me, like religious thrillers, like the Dan Brown stuff there. It's interesting to me because it's silly. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, this wasn't, this was silly. It was just as silly as the Ark of the Covenant or, you know, the uh, Shankara stones, etc. So I think the, the final, the final scenes are the only ones to me that feel right. Uh, they feel like the, the, the movie that I came to see for Indiana Jones and the, and the last crusade that, that the night character is phenomenal. That's a terrific piece of invention. And, and that scene is incredible. Uh, it shows everything that, uh, that I would want out of this movie. Uh, but it's it, by that point for me, it was just too little, too late. All right. Uh, the next movie, moving to 2008, which it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but it's been it really doesn't it's been 15 years since Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and again, controversial opinion. I really like this, not nearly as much as Temple of Doom and Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I really enjoyed. This this had the spirit to me of the first two films, uh, yep. it, regardless of the opening sequence with the A bomb and the and the refrigerator, 
that's a lot of which I loved. I I do too. I do too. Uh, the a lot of people go in on that. I I enjoyed that. I, <laughs> but I I understand the the logical issues that people might have with that because you know it probably took at least thirty years off of Indiana Jones's life, and we're gonna see that he's well alive <laughs> and not suffering, not having his hair fall out. I get it. I know, but still, it's a fun sequence as it's made. It is tremendous. Uh, we we jump around from there. We've got uh, another Nazi again with Kate Blanchett, who really bites into being this character. She just relishes her her villainy in such a wonderful way. Uh, there's a character. Is it? Oh, which character? Asked Winstone. Ray Winstone uh, plays a sort of mm-hmm. sidekick to Indiana Jones, who's just shifty enough, especially with that mustache, to make you question just which side he's on. Which I really liked. Uh, that 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 little. That little touch, the little details are, are so good in this that make, again, taking me back to, to the uh, classic films. A lot of people don't like Shia LaBeouf. I think, I think his reputation and the way people see Shia LaBeouf does uh, affect the way people remember this movie and think of this movie. I like Mutt. <laughs> I do. I like the, I, I like this sort of, uh, the vibe that he's got, the 50s greaser vibe thing is kind of fun. I like the I like the motorcycle chase scene. I thought that was tremendous, uh, and I thought he proved to be an asset at, on on the overall adventure, especially getting India Indiana Jones back to uh, uh, back to Marion. I thought that's a great bridge to to bring them back together. I I really just there's a lot of this I really love. Karen Allen, fantastic. She's she's totally delivers every time she plays the character of Marion. Every time, uh, I, I I really had a great time with kingdom of the crystal skull. And I didn't mind the aliens again, to your point, like we're talking about <laughs> temple of doom is about voodoo characters. I mean, we've got, you know, the original film is about, you know, the angels from hell or whatever they are coming out of the yeah. killing people. You know, the Holy grail. That's a whole bunch of nonsense. Aliens are not that. It's basically a modernization. When you think about it, it's like, it's like an episode of that, uh, history channel series, ancient aliens, which actually did, Multiple episodes on Crystal Skulls, oddly enough. <laughs> I this felt it had this it, it had the spirit mm, yes. of Indiana Jones to me. You know, it was it was <laughs> where where we're gonna I'm gonna talk about Dial of Destiny and the issues that I had the first watch. Mm-hmm. Um but this just had the spirit of it and it, it really immersed you in the fifties. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, you know, we're in the thirties and the forties in the first three movies, but this really did have, you know, the sense that the time was starting to get away from Jones mm-hmm. and he was starting to have to like kind of come into modernity a little more. Yeah. And how he was going to navigate that with this punk kid who, you know, he doesn't, he, Indiana Jones is a teacher, right? He's a professor and he's always, you know, trying to impart his wisdom on people, but this kid isn't kind of somebody he's got, he knows he's not going to be imparting wisdom on. And then when he finds out later that, oh, it's his son, he changes his, you know, the tone and the way he talks to him completely. And that really, that to me was, 
kind of him waking up to the fact that time is moving past him and there's less less ancient relics to find that are important to people and what sets us up for the future are flying saucers and aliens and things like that mm-hmm. and it's not a secret you know the um kate blank blanchett at the beginning you know she's trying to find the alien for russia she's you know mm-hmm. and we've moved from from nazis to russians because of the cold war and the <laughs> nuclear arms race and yeah. things like that and she you know she kind of embodies that with wanting to get the secrets of the aliens and you think it's so that she can give them to i don't know who at the khrushchev at the time maybe uh you know to win the space race and all that and then <laughs> she no it's actually she wants it for herself because she's she believes that she's, you know, part alien because she can see the future. Mm. So, again, I, I I really enjoyed it. It's an awesome performance. Kate Blanchett's amazing. <laughs> she's a, I, I again, it's over the top, but in all the right ways. Uh, yeah, it, she she's in the spirit of an Indiana Jones villain. She's mm-hmm. in the spirit of you know the the guys who got their face faces melted, and in the spirit of. Almond Rod, like all these characters, she she's right there, and I love that. Yeah, Dial of Destiny, the brand new Indiana Jones adventure, uh, takes us to multiple different time periods, I guess, because we have to go back to uh, the World War II time period to open it to introduce the Dial of Destiny, and then of course, the most of the movie is set in 1969 with this uh, character played by Mads Mikkelsen, who's a former German scientist now working. With the uh, with NASA, which is you know, based on a true story, uh, in that way, and we did have Nazi scientists helping us get to the moon. <laughs> it's okay to acknowledge that. <laughs> it's as it's a problematic thing it, that happens. Thinly, yeah, his thinly veiled Werner von Braun. <laughs> uh, that setting in 1969. Uh, first, the first thing that strikes you in a uh, spoiler alert: Mutt is dead. Uh, he he was killed in Vietnam, and there's an element of that that I'm of two minds of. Like obviously, Shia LaBeouf is too much of Shia LaBeouf to to come back and be part of this franchise. He's just too much of himself, uh, and just wouldn't fit with what they're going for. And, and well, and the way it. he trashed Spielberg, yeah. After you know, there, there's no way he's working. I, I hadn't heard about that, but yeah, that would also play a role. But like, uh, the the way they use it, sort of conveniently to explain why he, him and Marion are apart, uh, you know, is one of those elements of shortcuts that I think permeates some of the scripting of this movie that really does hold me back in loving it. Um, so the Phoebe Bridgers is the is a character who is the daughter of a man who played by Toby Jones, who was with Indiana Jones during World War II and. Uh, first helped him capture the Dial of Destiny and get it away from the Nazis and uh, gave it to Indiana Jones to, because he himself became obsessed with it. And uh, she's after it, uh, essentially, to, to sell it, I guess. Uh, the, the the portrayal, not her performance, because I think Phoebe Bridgers is awesome. I love her. But I think... You the, mean the, the Phoebe, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, not Phoebe oh, Bridgers. But, sorry. They're different people. <laughs> I, it's fine. Uh, they're... The, the way that the character is portrayed via the scripting 
it's a little too vague as to what her motivations are. They want her to kind of be playing that gray area, and I don't think that they quite found the tone that they want uh, to make that work. So I, I wasn't sure what her motivation was. Um, whereas a more noble motivation would maybe be more related to her father, which is kind of there. But anyway, I think the film is too vague about that. But uh, the, what's lacking here is that sense of adventure. It's that tone that is purely Spielberg. Uh, it is that tone of how much he loves being in this universe and being with this character and the, the love and enthusiasm that he brings to making an Indiana Jones movie, which was present in Crystal Skull. I'm sure it was kind of present in Last Crusade. <laughs> it's definitely present in Temple of Doom and Raiders. Uh, it's what I love about Temple of Doom and Raiders is that you know giddy, childish excitement uh, that 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 is clearly what he and Lucas feel about making this. And I don't feel like James Mangold has that similar enthusiasm. James Mangold very much feels like a person who I had, who probably admires Indiana Jones, but doesn't have that same nostalgic love for what Indiana Jones was born from. And if you don't have that, which I couldn't make an Indiana Jones movie, I don't think, uh, because I don't have the nostalgia that, that Lucas and Spielberg have for afternoon serials of, the, of their early childhood. I don't have that same enthusiasm. I would make it different. I think anybody would, but I feel like that is the, that is the, that is the crucialist, the most crucial element of making Indiana Jones work. You need those guys. You need Spielberg, especially in the director's chair. And without him, it just doesn't feel right. It felt, a lot of this felt like a generic action movie to me. Yeah. Um, so my, I like I said, I saw this twice. I saw it Thursday night, and I wasn't quite sure my feelings on it. Now, keep in mind, I got up to pee at the wrong time because <laughs> I came back, and he was just finishing talking about how Mud had died. Now, I got, I, I, I assumed that because earlier in the movie, when he's looking at all the TVs, and you know, he's like they're talking about how they're looking for him. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, Dr. Henry Jones, who recently lost his son. And I was like, okay. And then on the second watch, you see Mutt's picture next to a folded American flag. And knowing what's happened, you know, knowing what's happened, you're like, Oh, it's right there, right there in the first five minutes of the movie, you know, right. of the modern movie. Um, I, I guess, yeah, for me, the first time I saw it, it was like, I just didn't quite know how to parse my feelings for it. The second time I saw it, I saw all the things that were right with it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got really good pacing, uh, especially at the, be the beginning is like, it's just like watching, like if they'd filmed uh, scenes in 1983 or four, it feels like that again. Um, even... <laughs> Even with Mads Mikkelsen, who always seems to be the same person to me, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, he's a type. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that he's, you know, he, he's a good actor in Hannibal, I'm sure, but I've never seen it. I've only really seen him in this and Rogue One and a couple other small parts. But 
he always seems to just be Mads Mikkelsen to me. Anyway, um, I thought that when once we got into modern day, that's where I struggle with Indiana Jones. And that's what I, that's my, the reason, one of the things I loved about Crystal Skull was the fact that he feels time has slipped past him a little bit, mm -hmm. but he still got it. He still got that, um, like, kind of joie de vivre about chasing down things and, this, it seems more like he's just doing it because he doesn't want it to get in the wrong hands. And it's not because he loves the, you know, loves the hunt. He's running from something as opposed to chasing something. Absolutely. I can feel, I can feel that. Um, that being said, I, I had a really good time with most of it. It just seems like at the, at the end of the movie, I would have liked I would have liked the prologue to have been about how he and Marion were fighting and, you know, they were going to split up because of Mutt's death. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you could have done it where they've, they've just found out and, now, you know, they're fighting about, oh, you let him go and blah, 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 whatever. And then I wish I could, t I wish I could turn back time. And then you get into the prologue part where they're, you know, finding the dial and you think that that's what this is all about as opposed to finding the dial. And then you find out that he's retiring and, mm -hmm. but it's, is that, if that's his last day, why was he talking about this stuff is going to be on the test? That's something I, that's a, that's one of those <laughs> threads. I was like, wait a minute, if he's retired, if this is his last day, which is what they make it look like. But on the second watch, I don't know if that's exactly what was happening. Why is he talking about this stuff's going to be on the test, you guys? And why are they, you know, why are that, most, most classes are in the middle, aren't in the middle of summer. So that scene only exists to call back to the first scene where all the girls are in love with him. And, and you yeah. know, they, they, she's written, I love you on her eyelids and like adoring him and contrasted to now when the character is, out of time and the kids aren't listening to him anymore. That's the only reason that scene exists. And that to me is not enough justification for the scene to exist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to your point, I think you're on to something in terms of like uh, a way this movie might have more emotional resonance. Uh, the, the idea that maybe Indiana Jones was being driven by something other than, you know, being forced into a situation where he's got to keep th this from getting into the Nazi hands. Um, and obviously they couldn't do that without Mutt. They couldn't do that without, you know, the idea of maybe, uh, if we do go back in time to that point or we end up somehow in that point, I guess you could probably do it without him, but it would be harder to do it without him. Maybe I'm not sure. Uh, or, yeah. or just wanting, not wanting to refer to him too much because of, again, you don't want to even conjure <laughs> Shia LaBeouf in any way <laughs> and, and the ill feelings that people have towards Crystal Skull. So I understand that. I think what they what might have also worked was doing more to establish his uh deep connection to uh the inventor character whose name is escaping me now the one that they go and see at the end of the movie archimedes oh yeah if they could have found a way to deepen indiana jones's connection to archimedes i think it would have meant more to me at the end when he's trying to stay there i think that would have 
had a more emotional resonance, but I don't feel like Archimedes really has anything, any role to play early on in terms of motivating him or in terms of inspiring him. They've not seeded that anywhere else in the franchise. Uh, that it, it's a sort of a not sudden, but it didn't feel as if that had enough emotional weight for him to go. I'm ready to end my life here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and the fact that he's talking about the Battle of Syracuse at the beginning, mm-hmm. he could have dropped a line, you know, like, oh, he's, I would love to find, you know, all of this. I would love to have a conversation with Archimedes about how, you know, this one battle kind of changed the tide of the world. Yeah. There's, you know what I mean? There's a, there's a Drop a line. Like, as as unenthusiastic as the students are, there's also kind of a distinct lack of enthusiasm on his part. <laughs> and he needs to have enthusiasm about this. He needs to sell us on the idea that he's willing to give up his life to go back to where Archimedes is and to and spend the you know remaining years of his life there. That he needs to sell us that. Uh, so that we get to that point and it actually has some tension like he might just stay. I and I I don't know if they were if it was on purpose that they didn't come right out at the beginning and talk about Mutt being gone. Mm-hmm. Or if that, you know, let's oh let's save it because everybody will be wondering where's Mutt? Where's Mutt? And the fact that, you know, it was like a couple dropped hints. It really, there needed to be more reason for him to go after the dial. Mm-hmm. You know, at this point, to me, he's kind of like, he's kind of given up on his life because of Mutt dying. And, you know, it looks like it sounds, I think it was like they only knew each other for 12 years mm-hmm. at that point. Um, I think that's, I think it's 12 years from the last one, as far as the timeline goes 12 or 13. But if it all, it felt a little false that that would have done him and Marion in. Yeah. Um, Just based on how hard they, it was for them to find each other again. And, you know, I, I think it was more of an excuse as to why Karen Allen isn't running around the world with them. Right. It feels like a perfunctory screenwriting choice to work around something that you can't logistically make happen. And, and yeah. I feel like I can see them, you know, making calculations about what they can do and cannot do in real time. And, and that is taking away from the movie for me. Another thing that I noticed, even the first time I watched it was that, now Indiana Jones is Han Solo from the Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. They've both lost their son, one to the dark side, one to Vietnamese people, you know, or friendly fire. I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they've both are estranged from their wives because of this. And they both have kind of at the end given up. Yeah, I, there's no way, you know, Han Solo didn't know that he was going to get killed. Yeah. You know, so and and Indiana Jones gets shot. He's like, well, I might as well just stay here and die instead of going back. And mm-hmm. <laughs> which is so much worse. It's so much worse to do <laughs> if you really do love Marion. You know, like he just disappeared. 
and she'd always wonder where he was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I just like, I don't know. It just seems mean. Um, I did like it better the second time. I yeah. did like the whole movie better the second time. Uh, and I think that's how I was with Crystal Skull as well. Yeah. The first time I saw it, I wasn't quite sure how to take it because it was so tonally different for a big part of the movie um, than the other three. Right. But then once I watched it again, I was like, no, you know what? It's just it's just an evolution of the character. At the very and I least, don't feel. It, yeah, it, fe- it feels like Crystal Skull is in the universe of Temple of Doom and and of uh, and Raiders. Yeah. And this one, I Phoebe Waller Bridge, I love, 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 love her. Fleabag was amazingly good. I don't know that the character, the character herself kind of felt like a MacGuffin. Hmm. Yeah, he was just chasing her, and she was the he he felt like a secondary character in his own story. Fair, fair point. Um I, I didn't, I had a hard time, like, again, uh, sussing out what her actual motivations were. And especially yeah. what it comes down to the end. And she's, you know, making this emotional decision for him to not let him die in the past. Uh, I didn't quite believe that she was that invested in his life or death. Not that she was on a human level. You know, I could see what, what she's saying, but she doesn't have any connection. She doesn't care about him and Marion. She doesn't really care about, she never knew mutt apparently it would seem she has no feelings about that uh just suddenly she's like she's not willing to let him die here and i i just didn't buy that and then her happily sitting in his apartment at the end like like they're all one big family no then wasn't wasn't feeling that at all (laughs) yeah i just i i was i i was glad to see sala back Mm-hmm. I really <laughs> wish that we, huh? He was, he was great. <laughs> I really wish I, I did love, you know, how when he, in the trailer, when he goes, give him hell, Indiana Jones. And you think that's a big thing. And then <laughs> Harrison Ford just kind of walks in front of a car. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And he's like, oh, oops. Um, I really, I did want a, just a two minute scene of, of Sala going up and giving Marion a hug, yeah. you know, with India, you know, telling them to work it out. Yeah. You know, you guys have such, he's the heart of that, of the first couple, you know, the first three movies where it's like, he's the one, he's kind of Indiana Jones's conscience in a way. Mm. And for him to, you know, say, look, we're all friends and I want you guys to be happy. And you always seem happier together and then go with his grandchildren and uh, short round replacement. <laughs> yeah that kid didn't do anything for me at all <laughs> i mean he oh yes he was integral to parts of the plot mm-hmm. but as a character as far as he's you nothing yeah i don't even remember yeah. his name like i couldn't even tell you, yeah I, I couldn't tell you that off the top of my head because he, he made no impression on me as a character um i did i i liked the sequence in the cave i thought that sequence was good I think there are really mm-hmm. good things about this. This is certainly not Last Crusade bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Sorry. I, this is not a bad movie. It just it feels like a it feels like 
I have this theory that there are like 10 per- in, in my lifetime, there are 10% good movies, like good movies. And there are 10% really, really terrible movies that are memorably mm-hmm. bad. And then there's this 80% right in the middle that are just sort of movies I've seen and I can kind of recall. <laughs> and this falls right deep into that 80%. Whereas <laughs> Crystal Skull is very much in the 10%, even as, you know, I don't think it's a great movie. I think it's a very good movie. I would put it in that 10% with, with Temple of Doom and Raiders. And then Last Crusade is in that bottom 10%, so it's, at least it's memorable. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I've, got, I've got feelings about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have a lot of feelings about Dial of Destiny. I've got little nitpicks. I got things I can take away from it. I got reasons why I don't feel like it resonates with me. And and a lot of it has to do, like I said, with the tone and especially the lack of Spielberg. I feel like that's, that spirit just isn't there. Um, yeah. I, I feel like there was the, what it was missing was the glint in Harrison Ford's eyes. Yeah. And I realize that, you know, he's 80 years old and he is crotchety and, you know, he's not, he's got that, you know, just kill my character off in Star Wars, that whole, and I, you know, I feel like he's, if he'd been with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. instead of James Mangold, there would have been like that. I'm too old for this shit, but I'm going to do it anyway. Kind of thing, as opposed to just I'm too old for this shit. Right. <laughs> there was a very just a complete tangent. We got to wrap things up, but there was a meme going around on Instagram today that says that Danny Glover was 41 years old when he said the phrase "I'm too old for this shit." <laughs> well, he was right. <laughs> I love that because yeah, we're old. we're well over 41. Yeah, I'm way over that, and I am, trust me, have and been tooled for this shit is, for 20 years. Indiana Jones has been over this shit, apparently, for 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Jeff, thank you. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about uh, Joyride, as well as Insidious the Red Door. I like the Insidious franchise, so I, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I, I, But the thing that I like about the, in- the Insidious franchise isn't there anymore, so... That'll be hard. Uh, and our classic is a movie that I absolutely adore, Tourist Trap. I'm excited. I've never seen it. Never seen From 1979. So go out and everybody watch that. I think it's it's probably streaming for free somewhere. Um, it's not what I expected at all. It was rated PG. And when we used to go to the movie store in, uh, you know, Blockbuster, wherever, when we were kids, I always saw it, but my mom would let me rent R-rated movies, so I was not going to rent that. So, All right. Next week, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bob will be back as well. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Cool. Thanks, Jeff.